You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 497. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we near the end of our journey with the Netflix series, 1899. And, uh, you know, we, we don't need to rehash the fact that it's been canceled, no word of whether they're shopping it to another streaming service, but... You and I are, I guess, technically on the clock to figure out what we're going to do next. Uh, we're not going to yeah. we're not going to discuss it on the air. We'll we'll do it behind the scenes. I, I think we're probably going to agree on what we're doing next. But you know, you, you brought up a good point um, when I mentioned possibly doing the new sci-fi series, The Ark. Is that how many times are we going to date that cute girl and then have her kick us to the curb? and you know leave us stranded so yeah i mean no more yeah well, well probably yeah, she's well, awfully cute i mean right <laughs> we're, we're, we're not gonna say no more because we know we'll end up doing a show that's yeah. in its initial season but right now the wound is a little little yeah, deep so still a little raw yeah we're not ready to, to jump back into the a new relationship here, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, anyway, just a reminder to you guys, we typically record Mondays, so any feedback's got to be in by Sunday night, Eastern Standard Time. And, uh, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we hear from Fred each week, which is awesome. And, and we've had some new listeners contribute feedback. Uh, if you do want to contact us with feedback, questions, whatever, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can do that. All right. What are you watching this week? Well, I, you know, like Fred threw me for a loop because he was started talking about his dark materials. I'm like, I think I talked about that last week, but because he was recording like earlier, he hadn't listened to our podcast yet. So um, Fred, you probably heard what I had to say about it. So uh, I'll, I guess your next one, we can uh, swap ideas, but. Uh, I think before I'd mentioned I was watching uh, Ashes to Ashes, the uh, sequel to the uh, Life on Mars, the BBC version of it. And uh, well, Life on Mars, because it was an American version of Life on Mars, but not a uh, American version of Ashes to Ashes. But just really enjoying it. I'm almost halfway through season three. There's only three seasons. Um, it's just like a really great enjoyable show you know like sometimes the plots are uh, a little thin and the you know the mystery quote-unquote of each week is sometimes not not necessarily the greatest but the the characters are, are just awesome which i think i said last time so i don't think i'll be able to finish it before my second brit box trial runs out so i'll probably have to actually pony up eight bucks to finish this thing off but uh it'll be worth it i think i wish there was a, a dvd version that i could play in america I've, I've been looking around for the dvd of this for ages and it seems like there's one floating around but it's only like a region two which is britain probably so yeah you know when you mentioned that last week i went online and was searching for the availability of even life on mars either version and it's a tough tough find i don't know i was i got the uh back in the day i got the dvd of life on mars so i guess they were actually producing probably when the american show came out they figured they could maybe pony piggyback on that by releasing the, the british version on dvd but yeah that's a bummer and I'm, I'm definitely switching over switching back to kind of more at buying blu-rays and dvds again rather than just getting stuff streaming that you know is ephemeral to say the least yeah i mean and and i heard another podcaster mention that I, and I can't remember who it was but just when you kind of rue the fact that you spent so much money on seasons of dvds shows that you really want to see aren't available anywhere yeah. or some service that you would like you said have to pony up 10 bucks a month to it's like no so i'm <laughs> Like you, kind of glad I've got that library of DVDs. Yeah. Anyway, anything else you want to bring up or no nope. good? Okay. Um, good. You know, one question I was going to ask, uh, you know, Fred mentions it in his feedback. Is his dark materials ended? Yes. Oh, okay, good. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, not good, but good that they at least maybe yeah. knew well, they I were ending. 
Right. The, the The plan apparently the whole time was there's you know there's three books in the series and each season was one of the books. So uh, yeah, they were able to come full full circle and have a conclusion to it and everything that was. Um, I mean, again, if you like the conclusion of the book, you'll like the conclusion of the series, right? It's uh, so, but yeah, they were able to do that. All right. Well, my wife and I are watching Luna and Sophie again, which is this German crime drama that that we we started the first season. Oh gosh, months back, and somehow we got derailed. So we we came back to that for a little bit. We're also watching this Mexican show that's on Netflix currently called Control Z. And I I checked out the first episode when my wife was sleeping one night and I was scrambling around looking for something to watch. I thought, all right, I'll check this out. If it's good and I think she'll like it, I'll stop. And high school dramas can obviously be hit or miss. This is pretty cool. It, it, it's, uh, you know, about this school that is plagued by a hacker that's revealing all of their deepest darkest secrets and it, and it's kind of like bringing down the popular kids mm-hmm. and on the one hand as you and i've mentioned numerous times when we see a show or you know scenes that take place in a high school that no no that would never happen <laughs> and there are a couple of instances of that but you know it's it's i guess the mexican version of the cw because all of the kids are really attractive. The, right. the moms are really attractive. The teachers are really attractive. So uh, we're in season two. It's got three seasons, so we're checking that out. But the other thing, HBO Max just dropped The Last of Us, which right. is you know the, this you know much anticipated show based on a video game, which obviously comes with its own issues and risks. But it stars Anna Torv, who, of course, we know from Fringe, Bella Ramsey, Game of Thrones. Lady Mormont. Yep. And zombies in a post-apocalyptic world. I know that kind of gets your attention. Did you see the first episode yet? I have not. Are you really going to talk about who's it and not even mention Pedro Pascal? I, well, you know, I, I knew I saw the name, but that doesn't mean anything. So I don't know why I would know him. And I didn't look him up. Oh, well, he was Prince Oberon in Game of Thrones. Oh. Uh, he's actually quite popular now as the Mandalorian. And uh, um, he was also in the second um, – oh, he was in Narcos as well. And he was in the second uh, Kingsman. Oh, okay. Well, you know, again, none of those shows I've seen. Right. I, as I was listing my I realized you probably hadn't seen any of them. Right. So. Now, I will say he has Well, a, Game of Thrones. He was Oberon. Right. And he things. certainly learned from his mistakes, at least through the first episode of okay. The Last of Us. But <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. I'm certainly going to continue for a while. Uh, Anna Torv is almost unrecognizable, and that's due to makeup. So, uh, but still, it's Anna Torv. So I'm really digging that. But uh, anyway, that's all I've got. So why don't we get into 1899, episode seven, season one, titled The Storm, written by Yante Frisia, directed as always by Baron Bo Odar, series released on November 17th, 2022. So I guess we get a pretty major answer here and that it's we're in a simulation. And yet we still don't know what the hell is going on. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, are are we going to get in in episode eight and maybe we won't even get it in episode eight. Maybe the plan was to reveal it in season two or whatever. But I mean, are we going to see like what we see in the matrix the you know this long shot of a bunch of people wearing vr goggles or right. hooked up to something so I, I don't know i mean but at least we get that answer that it's a simulation and i think fred addressed either last week or the week before the, the idea that well it, it could be the present and the fact that they're dreaming that they're in 1899 isn't that big a deal if it's in fact a dream well if it's a simulation then you can make it however you want so yeah i i I like how you brought up the matrix because that 
I mean, to, to, to say the word realistic here, I'm, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the most realistic kind of uh, scenario, I think, here, because and otherwise, how are all these people, like Yamara says, is it is it my dream, right? But all these people are experiencing physically, right, other people's dreams, other people's realities and things like that. Uh, in this episode, we re- literally see Daniel jumping from one dream space to another, you know, moving through a physical space. So, you know, he, apparently he's dialed in as well. Uh, this guy, Henry, I don't know if we knew the old guy's name was Henry. And they didn't, we don't, re- that, that I just found that out because I had the subtitles on uh, the old guy. Uh, said his name was Henry. Um, you know, he also seems to be physically occupying this space as well, even though he's the one controlling it. And then, you know, we got Elliot, who I guess we can pretty safely assume that Elliot died in real life, but he's here as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's a simulation, but who's, how is it working, I guess, is. Is my main question. Well, right. Is it's sort of a cross between a simulation and a role-playing video game, highly sophisticated, certainly. So, yeah, I mean, we're certainly led to consider the fact that, as you say, Elliot is dead and that is this simulation for Mara so that she can connect with her dead child. Okay, that's certainly a possibility. Who created the simulation, I guess, is the uh, other big answer. And, and, um, you know, why do we have this this certain group of people that seem to survive at the end? I mean, Ike, Mara, Daniel, and Elliot, of course. Ling Yi survives, but Olek doesn't. Right. Uh, Clemence and Jerome survive. not Lucien. But Lucien doesn't. Mrs. Wilson survives, Tove, and the first mate. We understand why the first mate survives, right. because he's working with Mara's father. But it, it gets back to that question that, that you raised a couple minutes ago. Whose dream, and I'm making air quotes for dream, is this? Are they all interconnected in this same simulation? Are they all – it almost seems like they're all in this simulation to deal with some sort of emotional trauma. Yes. And uh, except for Daniel, who's his trauma is having sex with Mark. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh that's pretty traumatic. But yeah. but but you know, I guess on the one hand, we could say his trauma is losing his child and yes. losing his wife yes. at the same time. Right. Yeah, I shouldn't have been so carefree. Well, I, I understand. Yeah, obviously at the you know at when we you see the, that it's a, a dream and like, oh, well, yeah, everyone else had these terrible, terrible traumatic dreams and he, he's having sex with his wife. But then, you know, at the end when she's gone, well, okay, so as you said, there is the trauma, right? Yeah, and, and his, I guess, you know, kind of central focus for her to wake up, and, and wake up and what? Wake up and acknowledge the fact that your child has died and you have to continue with your life well i guess that's yeah you know a a possibility so it then gets back to what's the deal with her father it it does seem as if her father is create is controlling this situation and in this simulation rather and he's using the first mate character to do his bidding back and forth between whatever time he's in so i mean we think about the matrix and i don't know if they ever reveal what year it's in but they they did because they they said something about like because it was made in like what 99 i think yeah like that. so you know they at some point they say like you know um, you know at the end of the 20th century was like the perfect time I don't know, whatever they mentioned that how this they picked this time period uh from the humans humanity's past to you know have as the place where all these people exist in the matrix right but it seems pretty far into the future 
Yes. So we don't, you know, judging by the technology we see in Mars Father's office, at least as far as our, you know, I, I guess idea of technological advancements and all of that, it, it, they're not even where we are at this point. Yeah, but the, the thing is, that office, I think, is also part of the simulation. Okay. And, 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 you know. Right. And I say that. And do we have little handheld devices that can make ocean liners disappear? No, we do not. <laughs> so, well, yeah, let's not. Well, the government might have. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Distributing them popularly. Um, now, we hear about Plato's cave allegory. And, you know, of course, I didn't have to look it up. I knew what that was right away. Right. Sure. I don't know about everybody else. I think Mara should be a little insulted that Daniel had to mansplain that to her. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's like, I'm, I'm a doctor, dude. I, I know what Plato's allegory of the cave is. Come on. So I guess the question is, you know, does that then make us rethink what little we know, we don't know. And I guess that's true because you know, that, that cave allegory is pretty interesting. And I was joking. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> I had to go look it up. But but that, you know, that, that whole idea of, well, what you see as reality isn't really reality. You've been taught to think that's reality. And you need right. to readjust. And at the, the, the risk of sounding like Aldous Huxley again, you need to readjust your perception of reality so you know we, we've got that so we've got so much and, and you know uh, fred played the uh clip from a earlier uh, podcast where we're talking about just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and and you know i don't want to say they're doing that because they're i i, I think their idea was they were going to get three seasons to tell their story and now right. they're only getting one so it's not really yeah. fair to say that that's what they're doing but true well it, it and it did kind of the last episode seem like maybe that was what they're doing a little bit uh there's a lot of crazy stuff happens this episode but it doesn't seem so much of like throwing stuff at the wall you know like this is actually we see moving towards you know moving the ball forward narratively here yeah, and I think certainly the idea that we're in a time loop is a valid, I guess, acknowledgement. We've talked about that for a few weeks now. And, I mean, if it's a virtual reality simulation, then it's not, I guess, technically a time loop. They're just restarting the simulation. But for all intents and purposes, it's a time loop. Right. And I guess... My question is, even though Daniel and, and Elliot tell us this is the the furthest they've ever gotten in the game, I'm making air quotes again, uh, does this same core of people survive each time or, you know, to kind of, you know, play off of Mars Father's comment that they make the same mistakes time after time they let their emotions get in the way so do some characters make different decisions and you know fred mentions in his feedback so do we have like this this vast graveyard of ships and i would say yes we do and we just added one on these ships are the people from the simulations and i would say well i guess that's a possibility since we see ike on the ship so if he's on the ship, so again, it's a simulation. So I don't know what any of that actually means, but I wonder if different groups survive. I mean, I guess it's, it's hard to say that Lucien would survive because he's right. got the brain tumor, but Oleg, you know, maybe if he's more careful when he's out on deck, he doesn't crash through the railing and end up in the ocean. Yeah. I think it's totally valid that in I would say even likely that different people survive, but, but actually just saying that uh, on a number of occasions, I mean, Daniel said that everyone dies. So, you know, are the people who have survived so far, are they doomed by the end of episode eight to all have died as well? Right. That's true. And I, I mentioned Ike on the ship, but maybe he's on one ship and all the other people that were deeming 
to be survivors are on another ship because we know we've got the Kerberos and we've got uh, Prometheus. So when we see that graveyard of ships out there, I guess it's possible some are Prometheus, some are Kerberos. Maybe they're all Kerberos for that matter. But yeah, uh, who knows? I don't but, know. Well, you know, uh, we assume like, again, I'm going with this matrix model that all these people are, you know, hooked up to some central machine or something. Yeah. Like that. So, you know, they, you know, I guess we can almost expect that those who have quote unquote survived so far will also need to be reset and start over again. So you know, whatever death means in, in, in this show, in this simulation, um, you know, I guess that's going to happen to them so they can start over again. Right. So I guess the question is, like in a video game, do you realize what your mistake was in the previous game and not make it in the present game? Because we don't know if they have memory of what happened previously. So, right. And it seems the only person who has any kind of awareness, well, I guess the people are, you know, Henry and the first mate, Daniel and Elliot, right. seem to be the only people who's understand that this happens again and again and again and are are not quote unquote reset in in each simulation yeah so but yeah it, it appears that you know why because you almost think well if if daniel's made it this far so who really cares if he resets it then he can just you know just like in a video game right you just it sucks if you have to go all the way back but at least you're like, all right, well, this time I know how to how to navigate the game, right? Yeah. So if if that's if he if he's so I guess maybe even he gets reset, even Elliot gets reset because but I I don't know. <laughs> As I keep talking, I just got myself more and more confused. So I'm just gonna stop. Okay. Um <laughs> you know, the the other thing that I noticed in this episode is, is that we have a number of instances of objects lying on the ground. We see the cross lying on the ground. Uh, Oleg's postcard, the photo of Mara, and then uh, the book. So I I don't think that happens, you know, by accident. So we don't get any kind of answer as to whether or not those objects are important, but certainly within the context of the first seven episodes, we understand that they're individually important to an individual character. Yeah. And especially the, the novel, the awakening by Kate Chopin is probably out of those, the most curious, because you know, it's twice we see it. It's, you know, it lingers over it. So we clearly get the title and everything, Uh, you know, obviously awakening, waking up. That's a big motif in this show uh but the the awakening in in the novel is a a woman's sexuality awakening Um, so i don't know if they just use it just because of the title or if that will maybe play well uh, to keep saying will maybe play in the future (laughs) is ridiculous i know but maybe their intention was to you know have uh that uh, Mara's awakening might be similar to that of the, the character in the novel. I don't know. Well, at the risk of offending Manifest fans out there, my God, Netflix brought Manifest back for a 20-episode fourth season. So uh, anyway, <laughs> I know what you're saying. Um, yeah. But 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 yeah, now the other thing is The Awakening was published in 1899, which certainly is, is inter- oh, interesting. That I did not know. That's curious. Yeah, but I mean, clearly... Daniel has been trying to wake up Mara for the first seven episodes. And, you know, we've talked about each episode. We hear Mara's voice, wake up. So, I mean, again, it's not there by accident. What? No, definitely not. What it actually means, we don't know. But but the opening scene, you mentioned the, the sex scene between Daniel and Mara, after which they talk about reality and whether it's internal or external, and then that kind of plays into the whole Plato's cave allegory. But she says none of this would exist if it weren't for the mind to experience it. Well, 
okay, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, that's a fairly simplistic way to look at things. And then she says it might actually not exist at all. So, well, okay. Now, at, at this point, we don't learn about, we haven't learned about the simulation yet. So it, it almost makes it seem as if neither of them is aware that they're in a simulation, which, okay, I, I guess that's, you know, uh, understandable. Uh, I mean, we don't know. Look, again, to go back to the Matrix, they don't know they're in a simulation or they don't know they're being used as batteries. <laughs> right. Um, well, it's just like the the allegory of the cave where someone has to come in and say, hey, this isn't real. And, you know, the, then that person has to actually physically break the chains, um, drag the people up out of the cave and ultimately show them the sun. And then Plato says, even when, you know, when you, when they see the sun, it, it, at first it's, it's so painful that they reject it, that, and they want to go back to their shadows, right? Because that's the world that they're comfortable with and what they've known, so it, that's that important thing of the person in, in Plato's case, the, the philosopher who you know basically grabs people and says, you know, what you think is not actual reality. Here is actual reality. Um, so, but in this case, the question is, what is that? You know, like who who is making the shadows? You know, who who is creating the artifacts that the uh, that the shadows that dance on the walls for the people in the ship? Yeah, and and we get several really fascinating confounding uh situations that we have to consider but coming on the heels of that love scene between daniel and mara then we end up back in the mental hospital the room in which she's locked him and i guess he fell asleep because you know it looks like he's got his jacket kind of balled up as a pillow and he wakes up and then he calls to her because he knows the shutdown of the simulation i i guess which in you know kind of implies that you know now we know what we know that this iteration's about to shut down another will start and everybody's going to die again so um you know i i I don't even know what to say but then he removes a metal plate from the wall you know we we already know the thing about the ship's hull not that we understand it but you know he takes the plate off and we see all this modern looking wiring almost like you would would i guess associate with this you know room full of these massive computers and all of that and he just crawls in amongst the wiring <laughs> yeah <laughs> like okay why, why not yeah, yeah why not that's cool <laughs> well that, that's that's such part of it I, I mean we by this point it's pretty clear i mean it's been clear for a while that this is not 1899 actually and, and that kind of melding right of the 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 simulation of the 19th century and very much 20th 21st century technology kind of going hand in hand and and you know just to see all these scenes where you know he pops out of a hole in 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 the wall of the world you know and just there's a big black space now where where before there was sky or, or the landscape it's uh, still pretty pretty trippy to see that stuff happen. Well, it is, and it certainly is explainable by the fact that we know we're now in a virtual reality simulation of some sort, a.k.a. You know, a, a role-playing game, because it, it, to a certain extent, it is a game that they are all playing. But in terms of technology, like you just mentioned, well, the apparently there's a hidden iPad that both <laughs> Daniel and the first mate know right. where it's hidden. And, you know, it's got, it looks like ship's schematics because he, the first mate uses that to find Daniel, which is his prime directive from Mara's father. And, and of course he, he ends up getting him. 
But, you know, at this point with, with uh, you know, the lockdown looming and we don't really know what that really means. So, you know, I, I don't know. But then the other thing, you know, we've, we've seen the mental hospital. We've seen what appears to be, a, you know, a, a grave with a cross. Uh, we've seen Ike's burned out home. Did you notice that you, you, Ike, uh, Daniel finds that cross on the ground and then in the distance it looks like an old chapel or or something and then he climbs into this 19th century looking well and then of course we see mara's father watching him on the monitor but Mm -hmm. okay well that's new you know yeah the well and and that you know, it almost has like a Spanish vibe to it that, that we'd see in, in the uh, American Southwest, you know, in the late 1800s. But we don't really get close enough to see what it actually is. No. So, Well, then I think probably the most intriguing place, because he's just kind of popping from what we know as, I think more of calls them other people's dreams, right? Like, like when she, when they like, where's Ike? He's like, Oh, maybe he's in, in his dream. So we understand that each person's room leads to a different world. Like the little tunnel under their floor leads them to a different world that is, has something to do with their quote unquote past life or whatever. But the one place Daniel, it's like snow on the ground. There's looks like a streak of blood leading to some kind of shack. And then Oleg's picture is on the ground. Yeah. And, and it looked like there were chains around that shack, which, okay, I, I don't know. And we never get an explanation for what that blood looking stuff really is. But, you know, like you said, Mar goes into Daniel's room, moves the bed, to get to the tunnel, you know, under his bed. And that's when she finds that, you know, old timey photo of herself on the floor. Mm-hmm. And then she ends up in the bedroom that we saw in the opening scene, but you know, definitely not a 19th century bedroom. All right. But it looks like it's sort of abandoned mm-hmm. and she sees the bed flashes to the love scene earlier. And then, we get that reveal because she sees the photos of her, Daniel and Elliot, clearly a family. So, you know, we, we don't necessarily see her or, or, or under know what she's thinking about it, but it has to really blow her mind. I would, I would think at this point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, but you know, you talk about, um, WTF moments. I mean, Daniel's at the cross, pushes aside the dirt, reveals a trap door. Okay, fine. We're, we're trap door in a coffin. Right. And Elliot's inside this colorful child's playroom. And the toys include modern cars, airplanes. It's happening again, Elliot says. They're shutting it down. Uh, Daniel tells him and and that idea that we want to end this loop once and for all. Well, okay. So ending the loop again, we don't know, but apparently Daniel's desire and Elliot's to end the loop seems pretty significant. I guess then I think, well, all right, well, is Elliot really dead? Do you want to end the loop and prevent Mara from ever connecting with her dead child again well maybe you do maybe it's just not emotionally healthy to to live in that world where you think your son is alive when he's really not in real life so if that's the case then that certainly makes sense yeah we certainly get a suggestion by daniel here that there mara is not necessarily doing this she's not necessarily being forced to participate in this simulation that potentially she had some element of choice in her being there. Yeah. And, and and now he says, Daniel, that is that you're trapped in here. You all are. So 
you know, again, we don't know what kind of choice all of them had. You know, he does say, I'm sorry you had to find out this way about the fact that, you know, you and I are married and Elliot's our son. And he explains her inability to remember as a desire to forget the pain. So I think that's why we assume the possibility that that her son died, because what other pain would she be coping with? Right. Well, I think the the fact that Elliot's room is accessed through a coffin is might be also kind of a yeah right and unless maybe that's supposed to be a decoy but i think that's probably pushing it i think you know like what you uh certainly imply that that it's more evidence that her son is dead and and look well you know but but you are right that they haven't like that's not verified yet though right i mean it's strongly hinted at but when Daniel at no point tells her he's your son died that you don't want to remember because he died. Um, so yeah, there's always that possibility. Yeah. And, and, you know, we learned that, that the pyramid's important that not, not that we didn't know that before, but that Mara has a key that she's hidden that her father wants. And that's what everybody's looking for. And, you know, suddenly she opens up the locket that we've seen her, you know, look at on a number of occasions. She opens it and there's this little key inside. And again, her father's watching on the monitor. So I guess he's pretty happy that, okay, there's the key. That's good. Now, you know, we just need Elliot and the pyramid. And, and you know, is it, you know, I guess the, the, is there a, you know, little keyhole on the pyramid somewhere that we didn't see? I don't know if we've seen all yeah. sides of the pyramid. No, they, he, at the end, uh, Henry flips oh, back right. the top of the pyramid and there's like a little. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, anyway, you know, mention the tablet, the, and Daniel recovers it and tries to prevent the lockdown. And he says, if he fails, this room's going to go into the archive just like the others. And so the archive, I think we learn, is that ship graveyard out there. And again, I'm not sure why they have to have an archive like that. I mean, generally, you, you think about an archive as storage of something that you may want to go back and look at sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. So... Is that the case here? I mean, we don't get an answer, but but I don't. Yeah, right. Because an archive is not a recycle bin or a trash can, right? Yeah. Like an archive, as you said, is you put things in an archive because you don't use it on a day-to-day basis, but you might want to retrieve it at some point. Like, you know, classified government documents, for example. You know, like I have an archive of, of files from classes that I don't teach anymore. I haven't dumped them because who knows i might teach them again sometime so yeah and uh <laughs> i don't know why i haven't dumped mine yet i mean do i really think i might need them again you just put so much work into I it know. like to to get rid of it You're like yeah the so, question is why can't i just dump out all these old dittos and copies of that i have on paper yeah there you go why don't i get rid of them dave i haven't i, I haven't looked at them in, in years yeah well it's uh, y- you will so um you know we mentioned mars father's comment about them making the same mistakes over and over and they die every time but but he says that's what makes them weak it's human nature's ultimate flaw one shouldn't base a choice on love anger or hate just silly feelings that cloud the mind so is he running this simulation? Is he hoping that eventually they'll make more pragmatic decisions about what they do, which kind of implies he thinks that all of these, I I think things that make us human are suddenly going to disappear. And he thinks that's a good thing. And I'm thinking as I'm sure everybody's thinking, it's like, no, that's not going to happen, dude. Right. So I, I, I don't know, but is he the puppet master? I mean, he certainly seems to be, but on the other hand, 
He seems to be trapped in here kind of the same way everybody else is. Mm -hmm. Why is he so concerned about Mara's key if he has control of everything? Right. So I don't know. Yeah, exactly, because he doesn't 100% have control. He doesn't have control over Daniel, right? Yeah. Uh, he temporarily has control over Elliot. Uh, I would, if I had to guess, I would say episode eight is going to be some kind of rescue mission to get Elliot out of the the clutches of the the vile Henry. But yeah, he doesn't have c- complete control because there's this element in here of, of Daniel that's going around trying to stop him. Yeah, I mean, Mars' father says the Kerberos will be moved into the archive. Your mother will bring me the key, and this will finally come to an end. All right. So I guess, and and right yeah, after whatever that means, <laughs> right, and after he says that the shutdown occurs, and we see Ling Yi on deck still processing the fact that this man that it appears she loves even though they've only known each other a short time has gone overboard and and is presumably dead and then we see the kerberos fall into this swirling vortex and i'm sure we're all thinking like well that's pretty darn cool looking in in terms of visuals but um and like for ling yi like how that's like the ultimate roller coaster ride sure yeah, you know, just like she must have been like this is, but of course when when it goes in, it doesn't seem like it's going down so much as across. You know? Yeah, I don't know. It's like right weird, but again, it's a simulation. So like, really, what is capable in the actual physical world is irrelevant here. Right, and then we get that scene with the survivors standing on deck, just kind of looking out, trying to figure out what the hell just happened to us. And then I guess at this point we've learned that, well, get ready because it's going to start again. You know, we'll be back to, uh, you know, it won't surprise me if episode eight starts where the series started. Mm -hmm. And again, now, obviously they can't take eight more episodes to to get to this point again. So obviously something's going to have to change. But given the fact that Daniel knows so much <clears throat> you wonder why he doesn't you know throw out some of his knowledge a bit sooner you know to uh right you know to get the outcome that he wants and as but he a, might have done that in like a past iteration true. well that's true might, it might have been like the first thing he did was go straight to bar and say mar you gotta wake up and then she shoots him or something right like exactly unintended consequences yeah <clears throat> i guess you know maybe the boy talked the first time Nope, that right. didn't work. So let's yeah. let's try something different. Exactly. But you know, the whole idea about death and sacrifice plays a a pretty significant role in in this episode. You know, Tove confronts her mother, telling her she's crazy. Which I mean, I, yeah, I hate the word crazy, but but certainly she's suffering some sort of mental illness. But then she leaves her parents behind, and. You know, you know that scene with her parents. I, I mean, suddenly we feel so much compassion for her mother. And, and you know, we've seen mm-hmm. her father as this weak man who lets her mother not only run over their family but everybody's family. But yet now, when she's the mother, you know, going to die through drowning. And her father has the opportunity to save himself. He's no, I'm going to stay with you. We're going to, you know, we're going to face this together. And even Franz, I don't want to say Franz has been this hateful character, but certainly when he, you know, leads the mutiny against Ike, yeah. we're not really liking him much. Right. Right. But you know, when when he and Tove are trying to close all the the doors to prevent the ship from totally flooding and he's like nope you you stay on that side i'm going to close this door and she realizes well you're going to drown and he's like well yeah i am but you're not Mm -hmm. so you know you know you know the beam falls on 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 hell in the engine room and we get that poignant scene 
with Ramiro. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, a lot of these kind of ancillary scenes that, you know, are kind of sprinkled throughout this episode because the episode is predominantly uh, Elliot, Daniel, and Mara, but these are so significant, even though they only, you know, make up a couple of minutes, I think, total. So, yeah, and I, I like what you point out there that especially these characters of like Angel and Lucien and Franz and uh, Anker and Eben, I guess, her, her yeah, mother right. and father, you know, these characters, as you point out, have we have not necessarily been very sympathetic for, but yet in their ultimate demise are very poignant and we do are emotionally invested and we do uh, experience like a sense of loss for these characters. That's pretty much all I've got. What else you want to talk about? Well, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, it's really a, a bummer with Oleg because probably out of all the characters, you know, I feel at least kind of the most emotional investment with uh, besides Mora, obviously, but uh, you know, with Olick and Ling Yi, and that that relationship between those two is was really pretty sweet. And despite their inability to communicate, but yet communicate, right? Like he's able to say, "I need to go on deck." She's able to say, "I'm coming with you." They clearly don't speak literally the same language, but yet it seems like they are completely able to communicate with. One another, I think I mentioned that uh, last week. the uh, The fun thing about having subtitles on is you get the they they name all the music that's playing. They say like uh, disconcerting ululation <laughs> yeah. play as Mara uh, finds a picture of herself, or there's um, the when Daniel realized Mara has already gone down into his dream world. We hear plaintive vocalizations and uh so um i i, I get a kick out of uh, seeing what they what they call the the sounds we're hearing in the background yeah. everything like that, so. well you know you you mentioned ling yi and olek and i think one of the things that i guess passed me by the first time i watched this episode is that we know they're all going to america i mean that's at least the plan and, and okay, fine. We know it's a simulation and all that. But I think we we realize that even though her initial intention is to go to America and, and essentially work as a prostitute, now that she's met Oleg, we don't see that happening, and we don't see Mrs. Wilson being the kind of person that's going to hold her to her you know, I, I guess initial agreement to, mm-hmm. to work for her because they've all, I, I think changed, you know, as, as a result of these circumstances. So it's even more tragic when he goes overboard because now she is basically left with only Mrs. Wilson because her mother's, mm-hmm. her mother's right. dead. Right. So. Right. Yeah. And you know, that brings up a couple plot points that seem to have been kind of shoved to the side for right now. Uh, the Ms. Wilson, right? I've, I'd completely forgotten that she was kind of like the one in charge of bringing Ling Yi uh, to America. And they remind us a couple times of her infection or whatever it is on her hand, but what's the deal with that? We still, it's turned her hand black. It, uh, it seemingly is affecting her otherwise, but, you know, we just don't really know what what the deal is with that yeah the black crystals we still really have no idea as they permeate the hallways and yeah so anyway yeah you know i think uh eben and anchor had a a really good opportunity to uh you know to go out having sex basically and they let that uh, pass by them and you know rarely do you get the chance to to do it right before you die i just feel like that's an opportunity they they had that they missed, you know, to each their own. They wanted to pray. Praying's fine too, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, like it's like that, the couple in, in, uh, Pompeii, you know, like they found the ruins and there's like a, the, the, the one was a couple who were caught, uh, went to their, their, their doom, uh, when Vesuvius exploded, uh, in a, in a fit of ecstasy. So Ike, well, how did Ike, I can't remember. I, I know he got like zapped. 
someplace by um, Daniel. By Daniel, is it, was he zapped to the to the ship? I, I can't. Yeah, I remember I, how he. I can't remember. I yeah, feel like he was zapped to like to to his house, right? Yeah, or was he zapped to that place? No, yeah, yeah, he was zapped to his house. I'm right. pretty sure. Then, I, 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 don't know, I couldn't remember exactly how he had gotten onto this other ship. I remember, like, but anyway, you know, we just see him. You know, he's absent this entire episode until the very end. Right. Well, if he's zapped um, to his house, he knows there's a portal to get back to his cabin. So right. I guess I don't remember if we but see it's the him. wrong cabin, though. Well, right. But he, you know, at this point, he knows that he just needs to get back on the ship. So no matter whose cabin he ends up in. Right. So. So, but anyway, I mean, I thought that, that by the end of this episode, yeah, you, know, you really start saying, "Hey, where's Ike?" Because the characters are looking for him too, right? Sure. Like, like, where's the captain? We're like, "Yeah, where's?" Well, I mean, I know where the captain is, but I can't remember how he got there. So that's a thing. I'm not again not sure what the significance of that is that that they kept him out of this entire episode. So, well, and just to kind of touch back with Olek and Ling Yi, like we. My assumption, I guess, is that whatever the real quote-unquote world is out there, that these two have a relationship. I guess kind of my assumption is that all the people that we see in relationships or have actual relationships, uh, IRL. Um, so it's I, I feel like we're not going to see anything about Olek and Ling Yi's relationship, or I would be surprised even if we found out what's the deal with that blood stain and Olex dream world there, but our nightmare world, I guess. And that's kind of like a, another bummer about, you know, the cancellation. There's just so much, so many places they could go with this show that clearly they're not going to be able to go to all those places in you know, one 50 minute episode, especially when they were working under the assumption that they were going to have more in the future to, to tell this story. Well, yeah. And you know, uh, it seems like we've, well, of course, we do this almost every week, talk a lot about Fred's feedback you know, before we get to his feedback. But, you know, that whole idea of Westworld and, you know, knowing someone IRL, but the relationship you have with that person is is different in that setting. So you know, do Mara and Ike have a relationship in real life, but it's not you know, captain and passenger, it's something completely different. So, right. you know, almost like kind of Wizard of Oz-ish. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. But like you, I, I doubt whether we're going to get much resolution with those kinds of things in one episode. So, yeah, unless so. it's like a four-hour episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think, uh, my guess at this point would be like that, as I said before, that the, Episode eight is going to be some kind of rescue mission. Um, maybe they actually do prevent the. Well, I guess the 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 reset is done, right? Because we got the countdown. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. So. We'll see. We'll just enjoy it for what it is, and you know, move on and find our way in the world after. Yep. So, all right. You want to hear what Fred's got? Sure. Okay. We will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for 1899 Season 1, Episode 7. I can't say coming back to last week's podcast because I didn't listen to it yet and it's not even produced yet. I'm recording this audio feedback ahead of schedule because my wife and I had to finish the series because she is leaving for fortnight to germany but i haven't seen episode 8 yet so i can't spoil anything for that episode perhaps there will be a addendum at the end of this audio feedback which i will record in a week after having listened to your podcast about episode 6 what am i watching just like wayne i'm watching his dark materials season 3 which in a contradiction to this series has a nice ending after three seasons, although I haven't seen the last episode yet because I'm contributing there to a podcast just like here. Uh, All episodes have been 
made available, at least in the US. In the UK, it's still running. And we indeed do, just like here, every week one episode without watching on. The podcast is done by Chip and Sarah and is called The Alithiometer Podcast. So perhaps, Wayne, you have listened to it or just can have a listen to it. Also, for the first two seasons, we did a roundtable before the start of the season and we did a roundtable after the season ended. And there are five regular audio feedback contributors, of which I'm one, and Barb Rankin, if you know her. She's on more podcasts as a audio feedback giver. And the very nice thing, not for me although, is that all these people will gather for the last episode. So traveling from all places in the US to the house of Chip and Sarah and have a very nice get-together for the last episode. Possibly I will connect to them via Zoom. I'm always amazed how mobile people in the US are. Just taking a plane and just go for two days to meet some people. If I compare that here to Europe, I would have to go to Norway or to France or to Spain just to travel the same distances as some of my fellow audio feedback givers of that podcast. I often hear people in the US say, oh, that's only a trip of eight hours. I would go crazy. So next week, my wife is traveling to northern Germany, which is a trip of about seven hours. And I go crazy like, oh, you are on the roads that long and you can get an accident and that is so tiring and etc., etc. Okay, let's go into episode seven. We can call this the big reveal episode, of course. But am I giving it an A because of that? Uh, no. I think I will go for a B plus because I still take the frustration of the last six episodes with me in this. Like, okay, is this then the resolution of that all? Why didn't take that so long? And there's still quite some inconsistencies or unclear stuff. But this goes to the level that I say, okay, that's okay. Now we are getting to the level of dark, so that you really are being taken along in a story where you have quite some question marks or you think you understand it and you get a twist, but at least you have the feeling that you have some understanding instead of being in a complete blur. Okay, let's stop my rant, because I already said that several times. On the other hand, it's still true up to episode 6, and more or less also for 7. That's why it's a B plus and not more. But to be honest, it became different because a part is clear and a part is what the heck is happening. And then it's okay. If it's all what the heck is happening, then it's not okay. One of your quotes from the episode 5 podcast is so true. Well, you can't just start throwing stuff out and seeing what sticks. Right. I mean, of course. Like, which could, there could be the argument made that that's exactly what they're doing in this episode. Yeah, but if, if it wasn't for Dark... You, you know, I, I yeah, might but, think but that. Dark didn't really, I mean, Dark threw stuff out there, but I don't know if there was any one episode where just threw out so much crazy crap. By the end of this, I have like, you know, you think they answered questions, but I don't think they really did. They've just raised like a ton of questions. I have absolutely, like Fred was talking about, I have no clue at this point at all what's going on. You know, I, I don't think that they're, they're, they're gearing just for some elite and, and that they're, you know, only a small cabal of people can understand what's going on. I'm pretty sure no one at this point, <laughs> that, you know, understands what's really what's going on. We have some thoughts, but we, uh, we have no idea. And I think they, they purposely did it like that, you know? I'm so happy that I recently watched Peripheral because otherwise I couldn't understand this at all. Main problem I have to understand if this is a simulation and it failed again and again. Do we land up with a lot of ships at the end and a lot of copies of the same people? Or does this all just happen in Mara's brain? On the other hand, Daniel and Elliot are somehow trying to interfere in the simulation and help Mora. And if it's only playing in Mora's brain, why do we see the stories of other people without her being near? Or is it more like Westworld, so that a simulation goes on, even if you're not there as a guest? In other words, the simulation goes on on its own. 
So biggest problem I have here is the relation between the physical thing and the imaginary thing or the digital whatever simulation thing. How do they relate to each other? In peripheral, it was initially quite difficult to understand, but after a few episodes, you really got it. Second thing I really don't understand, if this is a simulation on behalf of Mora getting better, what is the role of all the others? Or do they all have to heal? And are they going into this simulation together? Like, for instance, in peripheral, Flynn goes to the future together with her brother and Connor. Okay, that will be all for now. I don't think there is time for an addendum after I have listened to the podcast about episode 6. So this will be all. Greetings. All the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Like I said, we talked about most of the things, but I did want to comment on, on Fred's, I guess, assessment of travel in the U.S. as compared to Europe. And in the U.S., you know, people think nothing of hopping on a plane and going two hours here and there. And, and I guess, you know, Fred, I would say I think I've mentioned on a number of occasions I'm not a traveler. I'm done flying. Uh, I've just had too many negative experiences. There's nowhere I have to go, at, at least at this point in my life, that I'm going to fly. But for somebody that doesn't fly, an eight-hour drive to get somewhere doesn't seem so bad. No. That, you know, my mom lives in Florida, which is a 16- to 18-hour drive. If it was only eight hours – wouldn't be too bad but i i guess i i guess what fred's getting at is you know the whole lack of direct routes perhaps i think that's what he was maybe implying that he would have to go to norway to get to here mm-hmm. to get to there so you know and sometimes that happens in the u.s and fred you've been to the u.s and you've flown so sometimes you you can't go directly from point a to point b you have to make a little detour to point c and anyway so yeah uh, uh, that's something we've talked about before and it's kind of it is wild to think about uh because you know in europe you travel for six seven hours you are likely in another country um but in the states you know like uh, you know i go to buffalo a lot and that's about you know seven hours away and you know i think really very little about making that trip i've done it so much it's it's uh, just kind of an automatic thing um, it doesn't seem like that big a deal, but yeah, you know, when you think about the, um, the relative distances in the, the U S and Europe, it does kind of, uh, funny how, how that works out. Well, Fred gives this one a B plus I'm going a again. I think a minus. Okay. Fair. Uh, you know, I, I, I think the, the lack of answers, the lack of clarity about things is certainly, uh, an acceptable reason to bring down from an a minus so uh you know i think we're all in the general area that we thought mm-hmm. this was a pretty darn good episode but we also know the end is nigh and i think we're all going to be disappointed to a certain yes. extent so yeah for, for, for sure so for sure um you know and listen to fred i i don't know whether i agree or not because sometimes I feel like I do, sometimes not so much, that they just took too long to, to get to the point where they are now. That maybe if they'd gotten us here a little bit quicker, that people would have stuck with it instead of giving up on it after just a couple episodes. And I don't know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I agree with that or not, because I think they have really done a pretty good job so far of, of setting up this show. But, um, you know, knowing that it, it's been canceled, I guess we really kind of question things like that more. You know, we, we, we probably wouldn't be asking this question if the show hadn't been canceled. But because it was, we're like, okay, how could this have been avoided, right? And, and that's one thing that potentially I think of is that, you know, maybe if they – move the the ball a little bit more quickly down the field that uh, that people would have stuck with it all right well fred thank you for the feedback as always um i guess that'll do it unless you got any final things you want to bring up uh, <laughs> all right well we will leave it there 
And that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about 1899, the peripheral, anything going on in your genre world. Check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. We'll be back next week to talk about what is apparently the series finale of the Netflix series 1899. But until then, you know, being a teacher and a parent of teenagers, a sentence that I hear often is, I need my device, please.